That was awesome. Welcome, body of Christ. Am I on? Can you hear me? There it comes. Woo. Good job, Melissa. Oh, it's good to see each and every one of you out here today. You know, I always like to see that frost on the ground. Not that I like cold weather because I'd rather have the warm weather. But you know, in the book of Jeremiah, it says that frost is given by the breath of God. So every time I see that frost all out there, I say, man, he's got a big breath. Because <laughs> we serve a big God, and he's showing off. Every time I see that, it's like he's saying, look at me. I'm powerful. I'm alive. The naysayers can say what they want, but my word says that frost is given by the breath of God, and he just breathed out this day upon us. And so I want to, to welcome you all, and if you're visiting with us, I want you to know that you are a guest, that you are special guests, and we welcome you back each and every time because once you've been here, you're family. You're always family. You're going to be welcome anytime, and we love you, and you're going to find out that this, this is, is a family, and it's a body of Christ, and, and uh, we just want you to feel at home because you are. And uh, I know that this time of year we got all kinds of stuff going on in our lives. We've got heartaches, we've got pains, we've got things, we've got stuff on the news. It's, it's been a trying time. And so today's message is, is going to all be all about trying to help pick us up, to, to give us some reasons to smile, some things to know. I'm going to ask and pray as before we begin that the word of God will reach out to you this day. I want you to know that what we're about to study is a love letter from God. It is a letter from him that he wants to share with us. It's, it's his love letter to us. And so I pray that it will do that for you today, that it will bring comfort and joy and peace to you. We've got Wednesday night Bible study at 6. We've got ladies Bible journaling this week at 7. Um, we've got the Berean chapters and what those are. If you want to write them down, if you want to take a picture of them with your phone. But these are the scriptures that I'm going to be covering quickly or in part in our lesson. And if you read through these through the week as your meditation, it will help you to remember. And then it will also expand your knowledge of of what was going on and what was being talked about and it will really help you out so pray that you will do that uh, pray that you all had a happy thanksgiving and before we we get ready to enter into god's word and to worshiping that way we'll bow in a word of prayer and i'll let you all pray silently for a moment to prepare your heart and your mind to worship him and to receive his word and then i'll close us out in prayer Father in heaven, as we are humbly bowed before thy presence, we're thankful that we serve a God who wants to be among his people. I don't know of any other people who the things that they worship has written to them, can talk to them, that is a true and living God. Your word says that you are the only God, true and living. And so, Father, your word is God-breathed. You breathed this word out just as you your breath made the frost that's on the ground your breath gave us life you breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul each one of us when we're born that first breath is in the spirit the breath of god comes within us and our last breath is out as it goes back to you and so father your breath is also given this word and we had Thanksgiving and we dined on things, but it, your word says that man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And this is God-breathed. This is love. And so, Father, we pray that as we worship you this day, that we take in this manna from heaven that you've given to us, and may it nourish and strengthen us and prepare us for our journey that we're on in this thing called life. And we ask this, Father, to be challenged by it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, Revelation chapter 1. Open your Bibles up to the book of Revelation. You know, any time that I need a pick-me-up, I go to this book. A lot of people stay away from it. A lot of people think that it's all, this is a book that's far out and mystical and contains all kinds of different things. But I say this book is a love letter from God. You know, the whole Bible was written for us, written for our learning, written to us. But this is the only book in the Bible, in verse 3, that makes an audacious statement. And that statement is, is if you read me, you will be blessed. Look at that up there with me. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear. And you see, that's just exactly what we're doing this the word of God was designed to be this way. And that's why he gave some to be pastors and teachers and apostles and evangelists. So that the word can be spoken and the hearers can listen and be built up and edified till we all come to the knowledge of Christ. But he said, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written in it for the time is near. There is no other book in the 66 books of the Bible that says, read me, I'm special. It makes the bold statement that if you read me, you will be blessed. And so that's what we're going to do today, because I don't know about you, but I need a blessing from God. How about it? I need to be blessed this week as we're going through all of these different things. And it says, for the time is near. There's always a time that is near that you're going to need the word of God to help you out. It might not just be, it's, it's not only just talking about the end of the age or the end of things. There's always a time that's going to be near to where you need the word of God for your life. And you need something for strength and an acre for your hope to be held on to. And so it says that the time is near that you're going to need me. So read it, hear it, understand it. Do it and take it in. And the first thing that this book offers us, if you look up there in verse 4, it says, Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. So he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you from the God who has existed before time existed and will exist after time, for God knows no time. Time did not exist. It is all eternity past. And time began in Genesis 1 when there was the creation of this world, and then he created the light, and then he started separating the light from the dark, and then he says, I'm going to start this earth on its revolution around, and it says the night and the morning was day one, and time began right there on day one, but before that, there was always God. And so the time might be near, but God has been before time. He who was, is, and is to come. From the seven spirits that are before his throne and from the Lord Jesus Christ, his faithful witness and the firstborn. And I want you to circle that word because when we close, it's going to mention the firstborn again, okay? But he says, from Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead. He is our symbol that we're going to follow with him as being reborn from the dead and being alive unto him forevermore. And there's something special about this, Lord. It also says that he is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now, I want to ask you something. If he's the ruler of the kings of the earth, what am I afraid of? What do I have to be afraid of, of my government or any other government? Because I am not of this world. How many times have we been saying that recently? I'm a citizen of heaven. I am a born-again child of God in Christ. My residency is no longer here. I'm just passing through. I'm like Abraham living in a tent. And I serve the one who rules over the kings of this world. They cannot do nothing unless he allows it to be done. 
And even if it's something bad that happens and comes, then I understand that God is allowing it. Evidently, it must be something that's going to be for some good, even though it now it doesn't seem to be that way for me. When Joseph got sold into slavery, when he got taken over into Egypt, when he got put into a prison for nothing that he did for 13 years, it did not seem like it was good. We don't even find out until the Psalms where it says that they had him strangled in the chokes of, of the, the, in the prison of the bars around his neck and around his feet and how he was in pain. We don't read all of that through, through Genesis. But the thing is, all at the very end when his brothers bowed down before him and they were all afraid, you know what he told them? You guys meant it for evil, but God meant all of this for good. So what I've got to learn to understand is, is whatever's happening, I might think, and the world might be planning it for evil against us. But my God says he makes it all work out for good to those who love the Lord. To those who are called according to his purpose. So if I can start to go through life with that understanding of things. That God is in control. That Jesus Christ rules over the kings of this earth. And that all things are designed to work out for the good to those that love the Lord then what I am going through now, I need to look ahead to what he evidently has a plan for that in my life. Jesus rules over it. Then, so I want us to meditate on the first five books, of, or first five verses of this book. Because anytime I'm in trouble, I'm in turmoil, all I got to do is turn here. And I find out that it says that this is the revelation the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. What God wanted to show us, his children, about him. And he gave this word to Jesus to show to us who are his servants. And why? Because these things are going to shortly come to pass. Grace and peace be to you. Literally, he says... The word blessed is he who reads there in verse 3 that we started. You read me, I will be blessed. That word is makarios. And I like to give you these words because then you get the true understanding, the depth of the meaning. Makarios isn't just a normal word. It means, a. I want you to listen to what the Strong's version says that this word means whenever it was penned by John, given to him. By the Holy Spirit of God. It says that makarios means to become large. To be enlarged. And you said, well, how does that bless me? What does that mean? Well, I'm going to show you because it says here's how it means that. It says this is the idea that the believer in Christ is in an enviable, enviable position for the rest of the world to look upon you. Because you are receiving an extended amount of God's favor. God makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But he blesses those who are his. Your favor is overabounding. It is enlarged. You are in the enviable position of being enlarged by the favor of God. As a result of your faith in Christ and your obedience. It's your extended blessings that the world does not have that comes to us. Does that make you perk up a little bit? Does that make you feel a little bit better that you are in an enviable position by the rest of the world because you are in God enlarges his blessing to you above everyone else? And then it says that in verse 4, grace and peace be to you from all three members of the Godhead. That's a supernatural grace and peace. That word for grace is charis, where we get charity comes from. But it's, it's the deepest form of love. And it says this grace be unto you. This enviable favor, this word was first used for Mary. Whenever the angel Gabriel came unto her and says, Mary, you are highly what? Favored, yeah. You are highly favored 
among women. And of you is going to be born the Savior, the Son of God. That same favor is upon each one of us. This book provides that blessing for us. It says, you have favor with God, grace and peace from all three persons and those who rule over the kings of this nation. And then it says that he loves us, that Jesus loves us, he gave himself for us, and that we have been washed in his blood. We have been cleansed. We have been sanctified, redeemed, atoned, set apart. You have these blessings from God, from the Holy Spirit, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we let our chin drop if we continue to think about these things? Praise God for these blessings. I mean, he starts us off with that. You've, you've got all of these blessings and so then he tells us in the next two chapters, the next two chapters were written to the church. In verse 19 of chapter 1, it'll say, the Lord Jesus came to him, and it gives a picture of how the Lord Jesus looked to him when he found him. He's the great high priest walking among the candlesticks, and the candlesticks is us, the churches. And he's there tending the wicks and the lamps and the oil. He's taking care of us. He's watching over us. He sees everything we do. In the next two chapters then, he says in chapter 119, I want you to write the things that you saw, the things which are. That's what we're going through now. And we can read all about that in chapter 2 and 3. You'll read those things. And then in chapter 4 and verse going on, it says, and those things which will be after these things which are. And so now I want to take us to chapter 4. I want to skip over 2 and 3. We're going to come back to those real soon because I think that those historic things are about to repeat themselves in our life and we're going to need to know some things about that. But today, in our message of being upbeat and what God is doing for us, I want you to see the vision of what it's like in heaven from the one who's given you this grace, this blessing, this peace, this comfort. It says this, whenever... Chapter 4 opens up. It says, after these things or after this, whatever version that you're reading, what it means is same thing that he wrote about in chapter 1 that says, I want you to write the things you saw, the things that are, and the things that will be after these things. That's a word, meditata, after these things. This chapter starts, meditata, after these things. And at the verse 1 ends with, after these things. This is a set point of something that is going to come after what is, what's taking place right now. And the Lord says, come up here. John says, that voice that I heard in chapter 1, the voice that was like a trumpet, the voice that we saw was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in his risen glory, walking in the churches and speaking to me like a trumpet. That same voice is now speaking to me, and he says, come up hither. And I want to show you the things that's going to take place after these things. And John says, oh man, I was in the spirit and I was pulled up and I went through that door and I entered into heaven's realm. And then if you look there, it says the very first thing that he saw, what did he see? Verse 2, behold what? A throne. Behold a throne. It is not a coincidence that the very first thing that you see through the door into the portal of heaven and get a vision of what it's like, it's not a coincidence that it's a throne. Because who did we say Jesus was? He's the ruler of the kings of this earth. And God is the ruler of the universe. And so whenever the first thing you do when you step through there, John says, behold, and that means wow, <laughs> a throne and he who sat upon the throne. What do we got to worry about, church, when our God who bought us is sitting on the throne? And the first thing he wants you to know about heaven is, I'm still on the throne. He goes through there and he says, there is a throne. And then he says something else about that throne. What's the next word that's, that it says? It's what? Set. Up on the, there was a throne in heaven. Set in heaven. That means established. That means it's permanent. It is unmovable. It is unchangeable. It is not going anywhere. 
God's throne will remain. Satan already tried to take that throne down one time. And it says, he said in Isaiah, I will be above the throne of God. I will take over his place. I will make myself to be like God. And it says immediately God took him and threw him down to the earth. And he went into ashes right there before all the angelic beings who watched him. And they said, look what God did to him. That that throne in heaven is set. It is unmovable. And the first thing that God wants us to know about whatever's going to happen after these things is I am in charge. And I am sitting on the throne and my throne is set. And then it says something else about that throne. It says in verse 3, He that sat upon the throne was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow, a bow around the throne that was in the appearance as an emerald. You say, how is that so special? What's that supposed to mean? Well, if you take a look at stones in the Bible, whenever you look at the Sardis and the Jasper, that was the first and the last stone in Exodus 28 when the Holy Spirit of God says, I want you to make a breastplate for the high priests. And on that breastplate, it's the the 12 stones and the first one and the last one was the sardius and the jasper and what that means those stones represented the tribes the children of god and what that means is all the children of god i have control of them and i am the high priest over you and i take care of you spiritually i have got you in my hand and i am the jasper and the sardius It's also the first and the last. I am eternal God. I am first and last. I am your high priest. I am over you. And then it says that there was a rainbow around it, an emerald rainbow. And that emerald color is for peace and tranquility. But the bow represents something. You remember where the bow first appeared? Tell me about it, Ray Ray. I know where the rainbow appeared. You know it. With Noah and the flood and the ark. That's where the rainbow first appeared. What, you remember that? That's Genesis 6 through 9. That first appeared there. You want to know how special that was? You want to know why whenever you, you get a glimpse of heaven. And the first thing you see is a throne. And then you see that it's set. It's permanent, unmovable, unshakable. Because the one who sits upon it is the ruler of the universe. And he is the first and the last, the jasper and the sardis. But around that throne is the rainbow. And we take the rainbow back in the name of God. It is God's rainbow. That bow goes around it. And you know why it goes around it? And why it's emerald? Emerald is peace, tranquility. It's, it's the end. Just like he leads us beside the green pastures. It's, it's his place of comfort that he takes us to. So then let's go to uh, that Genesis chapter 9 and I'll tell you why it's so important because listen to what it says. Here's what it says. Whenever the flood was over and the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat and they departed from the ark and they built an altar and they began to worship God, the Lord God started talking to him from verse 8 through 13 and 16 all the way down to verse 17 and he says this. Verse 9 up there says, Never again will I destroy the earth by water. This is the sign of my covenant with you. Verse 13, I will set my bow, my rainbow in the clouds. It shall be for a sign of what? What's it say? My covenant. It is the sign of my covenant with you. That I have made. Verse 16. When I see the bow in the cloud. I will look upon it. See it's not just for us. It's for God. And God says I'm going to put that there. So that when I look upon it. I God will remember. The everlasting covenant. Between God and every living creature. Verse 17. This is my token. To you of my covenant. The rainbow. That rainbow 
represents the promises of God. It represents his covenants with the people. He said, I am making a promise, a covenant to you. It's not based upon you, your ability, your failures, or your good things. It is based upon the character and the integrity of me, of God. And I am placing that bow up in the heavenly realm so that not only you see my promise I am making to you, but I am reminded of my promise and I keep my promises. One of the things that is impossible for God to do is lie. And he says, I have made a promise. I'm making a covenant with you. And that covenant stands and I will put the bow there to continually remind me of my covenant with you and I will be faithful to it. So whenever you get to that throne that's up in heaven and you've got an emerald bowl around the throne, what do you think that means? I've got a lamb of God who died for me, bought me, purchased me, redeemed me, washed me in his blood, it says in chapter 1. So he made a promise that I am going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also, and I'm coming back to get you one day. And that emerald bow around the throne means that God is continually reminded of his covenant with us, his people, and that he is coming back one day for us no matter what. So the church might be going through turmoil in chapter 2 and 3. You might be going through troubled times in your life, but I want you to know something and I want you to remember it because around my throne that constantly reminds me 24-7 is this. I made a covenant with you through my son Jesus Christ. What did he say when he instituted that Lord's Supper that we were going to take of at the end of this service? He said, this is my blood which was shed for the new covenant that I am making with you. And we partake of this in remembrance of that covenant every week. So we've got something that we remember the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ with every week. But God has an emerald bow that says, I remember my covenant. And one day you will be here with me in the green pastures. You're going to be here with me and I won't forget and I've got you covered. So do you see how blessed this book is for us when we open it up and we're going through some things? He's telling us these things because it's a love letter from God saying, I want to remind you who I am and who it is you serve. This is me and we've we've got this. I got you covered. I remember my covenant. I will not forget and I don't care what wrath there is to come. Noah and the believers were saved by the wrath through the water and the ark. We are saved. That was a representation of the waters of baptism. The ark, we have gave this lesson before. It's a representative of the church, the body of Christ. That ark represented that. And those who are in Christ are spared from the wrath to come. And they are set down into a new creation after that. And God says, I'm going to prepare a new Jerusalem, a new heaven and a new earth for you, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you feeling any better yet? Do you have something to hang on to now for the rest of your lives? Yes. Now, all of this I said to get to chapter 5. Because chapter 5 is something we've never taught before yet. So now we're going to go into some new territory. Chapter 5 of Revelation it says this, a new scene begins to unfold now because we had the throne room scene and then there was the creatures who started praising God and the, and the 24 elders who cast their crowns upon that glistening sea of glass and they praised God and they had that worship scene and now the ch scene begins to change and the focus goes back to the throne. And it says there in verse 1, now the throne of God... It's come into play and John saw that in the right hand of him who sat upon the throne, there was a scroll. Well, there must be something special about this scroll, mustn't there? I mean, for it to go through all of this, there's got to be something special. It's got to represent something. It says that there's this scroll with seven seals upon it. What's it mean? Well, I don't know, but in verse 2, a strong and mighty angel came forward. 
and he proclaimed with a loud voice. You know what? This might be the angel Gabriel. I don't know. Gabriel means the strength of God. El is God, and, and Gabriel means the strength of God. So since this was a strong angel, it just might be him because he's the one that usually comes and makes announcements, isn't he? So he comes, and I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it might be from the way the wording is. And so he comes, and with this strong, loud voice, he begins to proclaim something. What did he say? Who is worthy? That wasn't a Gabriel voice. I've been screaming, so it's getting up here a little loud. Who is worthy to take of the scroll out of the hand of God? And then the word of God begins to say, that they looked, there's a time where everyone's looking. And it says that they looked all through heaven. They looked all over the earth. And they looked under the earth. And no one was found worthy. Now I want you to know what that means. Stop and think about it for a minute. That means whenever that angel gets up there and the hand of God has reached out with this scroll, the angel is saying who is worthy to take that out of his hand and open it up. And it says they looked all around heaven. You know who's up there? You've got archangels. You've got cherubim and seraphim. You've got messenger angels. You've got angels of the army of God. You've got angels of the worship team of God. You've got you've got the most powerful created beings that he's he's made. They're holy angels. They said no one's worthy. You've got those who's departed before. You've got the Abrahams, the Isaacs, the Jacobs, the Noahs. Moses. I love Moses. He was written on here. He said, because he is my favorite. But he said, no one was worthy. They're looking all around and. Moses is looking over and he's like, it's not me. I struck a rock. Not me. Not me. The angels are going, not me. So then the focus comes to the earth. All those who were left down here at this time. No one's worthy. You know who's running to and fro among the earth right now? Satan is and his demons along with us. Because it says in Job 1 and 2, when they came before God, and presented themselves, God asked Satan, because he came too, he said, where have you been? And he says, I've been on the earth, which is mine, and that's where we're going in a minute. He said, I took control of the earth when man sinned, and it is mine, and I've been walking up and down and to and fro in it, like he's putting it in God's face, you know, which I, I'm thinking, how can this guy who's about to be judged be that bold? I'd be on my knees asking for forgiveness. But this guy doesn't have that kind of a heart and he's throwing it up to God. I'm walking up and down and to and fro in the earth that I control. Well, I'm going to tell you what. It says that that strong angel said, who's worthy? They looked down on the earth and there wasn't Satan. There wasn't any of his demon angels. There wasn't nobody on the earth that was worthy. So then that went to underneath the earth. You know what's underneath the earth? There's some chambers underneath the earth. And we're going to find out one day when we get deeper into all of this that there's an abyss. It's called the abuso. But in the abyss, there's the one who's called Abaddon or Apollyon. And he's right now chained in this abyss with his demon army that's going to be released later on in that great tribulation time that's going to happen of trouble. But he is the baddest of the characters. He's like, Ken, he's like the top gang member you know, of Satan. He, we had gang members, and, and John, you, you know, from going into Kairos, into the prison's ministries, and they bring the top gang members in there. This is Apollyon. This is the top guy with the tattoos on his head and, and the, the swastikas and saying, I'm, I'm the guy that you stood next to the one time. <laughs> he ne- lives next door to you? Oh, man, it must be his brother because he's chained up right now, it says. But underneath the earth and that abuso and that abyss, underneath the earth there was no one found worthy. And so you know what John does in the next verse? It says he began to cry. He began to weep uncontrollably. 
You know why? Because no one was found worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals. To you and I, we're saying, what's the big deal? Why is he weeping? It's because he understands the Old Testament. He understands some things that's going on by the representation of that scroll. And I want to share some of that with you so we get a hold of it. You know, he, he was weeping bitterly. But if you go to Jeremiah chapter 32, you know, we had Jeremiah two weeks ago with his girdle that he was walking around in. Well, now we've got another portion of Jeremiah. We're in 32. And there he's been he's been speaking for all of these times and, and the time has come. Actually, Babylon is camped right outside Anatoth right now. They're getting ready to to come down and take over and and take everyone captive and destroy the land. Well, knowing this, Jeremiah has a cousin that wants to get rid of a piece of property. <laughs> you know, there's always a businessman in the deal. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the shrewd businessman's thinking, if we're going into captivity, my piece of land's not going to be worth anything to me. So if I can get somebody to buy it, I'm going to prosper, and that piece of land's going to be gone when they take over all of this. And so he comes to Jeremiah, and he says, hey, I want you to buy my piece of property. I'll sell it to you at a good price. Well, the word of God had already came to Jeremiah and said, your, your uncle's son is going to come to you, and he's going to want you to buy that property. You go ahead and buy it. I want you to go ahead and buy it, and I want you to go through that. So we begin to read in 32, verse 9. Jeremiah says, So I bought the field from Hananiel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth. I even weighed him out the money, 17 shekels of silver, and I signed the deed, and I sealed it. You hear that? I signed the deed, and I sealed it. Are you beginning to see what that sealed scroll is in the hand of God? It's the title deed back to the earth. God is getting ready to set in motion of taking his possessions back away from the one who was throwing it up. I'm walking to and fro among your earth. So I took the deed. I sealed it. I took witnesses with me. I weighed the money on the scales. And I took that purchase deed. Both that which was sealed according to the law and the custom and that which was open, and I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Mahiaseth, in the presence of Hananiel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of all the witnesses who also signed the deed before all the Jews who sat in the court. And then I charged him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Take these deeds, the purchase deed which is sealed, and this deed which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that will last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts. The God of Israel. Houses, fields and vineyards. Shall be what? Possessed again in the land. Now let me tell you what's going on. He's talking about these two different deeds. One that's official. And one that's signed and sealed. And then another piece of paper. That wasn't signed and sealed. What, what's going on? One you cannot open. Unless you are the redeemer of that. It says in there, if you read the chapter, that Jeremiah, by being a kinsman of his, was the legal right of redemption. He was the kindred redeemer, one who had then the right of inheritance to that piece of land. And so he gave it through him through this. So the official deed is sealed. The other one was placed in there because you don't know what that is unless you open it up and read it. But I don't want you to open up and read it. Only the owner of this land can open it up. So the other portion of it that's unopened, that's unsealed is open so that you can read what that deed represents without opening it up. In the, that's in the time of Jeremiah. By the time we get to the Romans and the time that John was writing this book, what they did was they wrote on the inside the deed, the purchased possession, but then those who would sign it 
would stick their seal on it. And the next witness would sign it and stick their seal. So we've got a seven-sealed document here of the deed of the purchase possession by one who is worthy to be the kinsman redeemer to take everything back. But in this time period, they didn't put a second sheet there. They wrote on the outside because you see when they make a papyrus scroll, they take the pith out of those, those big plants of the papyrus and they would mash it out, flatten it, they would roll it and stick them together. But only one side you could ride on. They put the, the smooth side to ride on. The back side is rough, so they only wrote on one side. They didn't try to turn the scroll back and forth as they unrolled it. So it was written on one side. So whenever it says that it was written inside and out, you can go to history and show that in that time period, purchased deeds were written on the inside and on the outside. It gave the description of what was on the inside so that they would know who was able to open it. And so what we have here then is the purchased possession of what's going to happen in the end times and the taking back of, um, of the world by the kinsman redeemer who purchased it with his own blood. Now, to show a little deeper in this, let's go to the next slide on chapter 12 of Daniel. And Daniel chapter 10 starts with this man, this, this, this angel in linen cloth that begins telling Daniel of the things that's going to happen. And by the time he gets to chapter 12, he says there in verse 1, At that time shall Michael stand up. Now see, here's that angel of God, Michael, the archangel. He is the one, the great prince, who stands watch over the sons of your people. I get asked, who's going to take care of Israel? Michael. They don't need us, do they? You got Michael the archangel who stands a watch over your people. And there shall be a time of trouble. That's what you're going to get ready to see through the rest of the book of Revelation. There is going to be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time when your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found. Now underline this. Written in the book. Because we're, we're going to get a hold of that in a minute too. Everyone who was found written in the book. And as many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, they shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. But those that are wise shall shine like the brightness of the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, I want you to seal up the book until the time of the end. And many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase but I want you to seal up the book until Michael comes and rescues you. Do you see what we're, what the one who's getting ready to take the scroll has to be the worthy one? It's the deed to the end of the time. It's the time when they're getting ready to stand up for Israel in Israel's last week. But we, the church, have already, we're already there, I'm telling you. And that scroll is getting ready to open. Everything from now on is about Jewish lineage and everything. And that scroll is bringing back the possession property of the world and the souls of, of men to the one who purchased it. And it says in Revelation 12, you're going to see, he said in verse 1 that Michael, the one who is over you and your protector of your people, will stand and fight for you. Revelation 12, verse 7. There was a war in heaven, in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, the devil, and his angels. And Michael and his angels prevailed. It's getting ready to happen. But before any of that can happen, before there can be the, the taking of the purchased property and the nation and the souls of people to be there in the heavenly realm, you have to have the one who is worthy to open the scroll and to take it from the hand of God. And they looked through heaven, they looked through earth and under the earth, and John began to weep bitterly because he thought there's no hope. There is no one worthy to do this, and so all hope is lost. 
But then one of the elders punched him. And he said, stop it! <laughs> uh, what you read there, it says, stop crying, right? Quit crying. No, it's in a command form. It's an imperative mood. And it's a loud voice. This angels, these people are talking in loud voice. And basically he said, stop it! Quit crying! Command form. Why? Because. Don't you know God's always got you? Don't you know God has the answer? You're looking at human stuff. All of that was human things. You're looking through human eyes. But God already has his redeemer that he put in place. And he says, behold, look. You've got the lion of the tribe of Judah who's going to be able to be worthy to take the scroll. So John begins to wipe the tears out of his eyes because you can't see anything when you're crying. You can't run a machine when you're crying. You're going to get your finger cut off. You can't drive when you're crying. I've had to pull off the side of the road. You, he said, wipe your eyes and look. And he says, I looked. But he didn't see a lion. What did he see? He saw a lamb in the midst of the elders and in the midst of the four living creatures and in the midst of the throne why does he see a lamb as if it had been slain? Because how we are purchased by the lamb of God that John introduced back there when he said, behold, the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So now the one who is our kinsman redeemer, now we are born again through him. We are his flesh. We are in Christ, our kinsman redeemer paid the price as Jeremiah weighed out the shekels. And as the witnesses looked and signed that, yes, he paid the price, our Father in heaven witnessed that his Son and all the people that was standing there beside the cross witnessed that his blood purchased the redemption of us for him and brings us now as our kinsman redeemer comes and he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and he is able to reach up and to take from the hand of God the scroll that sets into motion now the return of all possession and power and glory back to the one who created it. He created it. He gave it away to us. We lost it, but he repurchased it back. And those who are in Christ Jesus will receive the bounty of not only the blessings in this life that we saw of you are blessed, you have grace and peace, you've been washed and cleansed of your sin. We not only have all of these, but we've got the kinsman redeemer who rules and is about ready to bring everything to fruition and take us all back home. Praise God. How about that? Did you know all of that was in there right there on that? That's what it was saying. He, he was worthy and the lamb came in verse 7. And he took the scroll from the one who sat upon the throne. And they all began to sing and to praise. Worthy is the lamb to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. Why? To redeem us, the kinsman redeemer, you paid the price to redeem us to God by your blood. And now you've made us to be kings and priests unto our God and we will reign with you on the earth. And the title deed, how can you reign and have control if you don't have the title deed? So he's got the, he's taken the title deed. And then hundreds of millions of angels began to sing. I think it was way more than that. Why? Because it says... 10,000 times 10,000, well, I used the calculator because my brain lost all those zeros. That was 100 million. So 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million, but then it says thousands times thousands and thousands upon thousands. So all of these are angelic beings in heaven and is now praising God because he is able to take the scroll and to bring everything back to God. All praise, honor, and glory belong to him. And as our praise team, speaking of praise, as you guys come on back up, we must always then remember the words of this book. How can you get down and out if you think about all of these things and you trust in them and you really hang on to them as the word of God? You know, it says that 
Revelation 22, verse 10 says, Now, to us, he told John, don't seal up the book. You hear that? He told Daniel, seal it up for the time. He says, now to us, this book, don't seal it up because the time is at hand. It's near. It's right here for you. If time is at hand, that means we got to be ready. We got to be ready for the return of our Lord for when he comes to redeem everything back unto himself. Daniel 12, if you'll remember, I told you to underline something there. What I said to underline, it said, everybody who is written in the book will enjoy eternal life with him. Revelation 20 tells us that there's going to be a great white throne judgment coming. Those whose names are not found written in that book will face that judgment scene and be cast into the lake of fire which burns forever with the devil and his angels that was prepared for them. So that book is very important. Your name written in the book, you're going to have eternal life with God. Your name not written in the book, you don't. So how does my name get written in the book that's going to be the book of life? Well, all these references to those who are names are added to the book is those who are added to the church. And let me show you how that happens. Acts chapter 2. Peter begins to speak on that first day when the church is formed, when the Holy Spirit comes and there's a big bang and everyone rushes out and he begins to tell them that this is that which is of God when he spoke that this age was going to come and that same Jesus that you crucified is now both Lord and Christ. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And he says in verse 38, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for what? Right. So that's being washed in the blood then, right? Because what did Revelation say? That you have redeemed us and washed us in your blood and forgiven us of our sins. So that's where you come in contact with that. Repent and be baptized through the name or the authority of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But look, look a little deeper, verse 41. Those who gladly received this word of promise, they were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Added to what? Okay, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord Added to what? Daily, such as those who were being saved. Who were being saved? Those who the Lord added to the church. How were they added to the church? They gladly received the word of God. What was it that they gladly received? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. When you gladly receive that promise of the word and you do that, it says that the Lord adds you to the church, which is his body, it says later on. That is his body. That's what puts you into Christ Jesus when they heard that gospel. Now, our last slide, because I told you to underline all those things. I says it talks about your name being written there. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. By faith, you have come to Mount Zion. That's where God dwells. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, where myriads, millions upon hundreds of millions of angels, to the general assembly, that's what we're doing, and the church of who? Firstborn. Didn't I tell you in Revelation 1 when it says that he was the firstborn of the dead? To underline that, I was going to hit you at the end with it. You see, we are the church of Christ who was the firstborn of the dead it says you have now come to that to the assembly of the church and how do we get into it we just saw that in acts 2 and to the church of the lord jesus christ who are what enrolled when the roll is called up yonder some of it some translations say written and that's what it means to be enrolled to be written upon added to the role the lord added to Daily, such as is being saved, the church is 
the role of those whose names are written in the book of life. You have been enrolled into the book of life through the one that was the firstborn from the dead. And that's how you do it. So I just pray today that if you are here and you have not done that, if you have not followed in the waters as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I pray today you gladly receive that word and the Lord adds you to the role that's going to be called up yonder. We've got towels and we've got clothes for you to change into in a changing room. So there's not an excuse if you thought that was it. But I pray that you will gladly receive the word today. And to those of us who have done that, I pray that you gladly receive the rest of this word that tells you how blessed you are. How highly favored you are. How much grace and peace and redemption and love comes your way from he who sits upon the throne. Who is forevermore. Who reigns over all the kings of the earth. Who loved you and gave his life for you. Who one day is reminded by that bow that just as I saved those who believed in me and was in my ark, the church. As those that I saved then and brought them to the new world, I am also through this bow reminded that I am coming back to receive you again unto my own. Stand on those promises because God stands on them. They're around him 24-7 reminding him. Let's pray. And Father, how grand and glorious is your word. Father, you said, blessed is they who read and hear these words. And Father, this has in, inspired us. May we be challenged by everything that we have heard. May we constantly give you, as your angelic beings do, all honor, praise, and glory throughout all of our life. May we hang on to those promises and know that they are true. And that one day... You're coming back for us. We thank you, Father, for our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who purchased us and is just waiting to open that. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.
does go to the Earn Hearts event. cross the emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain so I'll change Cling. 